0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: I love going for a walk with God and just starting walking down the street and just saying, all right, Lord, I'm here, and I just want to be with you, and I want to interact with you. And just letting kind of it warm up, just kind of letting God touch my heart and letting myself begin to talk with Him about what I think He wants to share with me or touch my heart about, instead of just rushing into the presence of God with a lot of words.
0: Reading our Bible because we want to is much more satisfying and rewarding than reading our Bible because we feel we have to. God doesn't want us in His Word out of routine or obligation, but out of love for Him and a real desire to really know Him and what He wants for our lives. Today on Practical Christian Living, we continue our teaching on how to exercise spiritually and run our race for Jesus. With more out of 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11, here's Robert
1: Furrow. Working out is great. Getting in shape is good. Uh, you feel healthier, you're stronger, you do more things. Um, the whole idea of momentum, that once something gets going, you start to work out, you get more, you do it when you, you know, that which is stationary remains stationary, that which is moving moves, right? That's all good. You're, you have, you know, less chance of a heart attack, less chance of a stroke when you work out. Say, it profits a little bit. But that's not the point of the text. And when people bounce off this text and just go into a whole diatribe on Christians should exercise, which I've heard done before, I think is, is mis, a misuse of this text completely. He's assuming that they already know that exercise is a profit. Okay. Exercise profits a little bit, but godliness is profitable to everything. For that which you have now, it says, in the middle of verse 8, for that now is and which is to come. In other words, godliness helps you now and helps you in the future throughout all of eternity. So just as you exercise to get yourself in shape physically, you need to exercise to get yourself in, in shape spiritually. And I'll ask you this, have you done that? Are you doing that? It's more than just a matter of the will. I'm going to get godly. It's a matter of doing it. It's a matter of saying, I want to, I want to know what the truth is. I want to read God's word. And, and I get very careful at this point because I don't want to be legalistic. I, when, I, the church, when I left the church I grew up in, I, I found myself in a very legalistic church. And if you didn't read your Bible, you know, your three, four chapters a day, then you weren't really a Christian. I mean, they had all those things. And I got so yucked out at legalism that I I want to make sure that we never get legalistic. But I think that we should read our Bibles every day. Not because of legalism. Not because if you don't, then God's not going to do anything on your behalf. But because the greatest thing that you can do for yourself spiritually is to know God. That's what it's all about. In the end, do you have anybody that you know so well that you're watching something happen to them and you go, oh, no, because you know how they're going to respond? You know them so well, and they do. They respond exactly like you do. Are you here that something happened? And and you go, have they heard about it yet? And and they go, no. And you go, oh, man. Because you know them good enough to know how they respond. Well, let me ask you, do you know God good enough? Do do you know what makes him happy? Do you know what makes him angry? Do you know what grieves him? Do you know how he's going to respond? Do you know him? That's what, what God wants for us is that we know him. When we exercise ourselves in godliness, and if I can get real practical with you, there there ought to be a time in the day when you just read your Bible. When you just get your Bible out and you read it. It doesn't take long. I read three chapters a day. I make It's about through the Bible in a year, right right around there. I just kind of settled into this over the years. I read a a, a chapter out of the Old Testament, a chapter out of the New Testament, and I read a Proverbs. So it probably takes me a year and a half to get all the way through the Bible. Um, But it takes me 10 minutes at night to do that. I do it before I go to bed at night, and I do it now on my iPad, and when I, when I read it, in fact, my, you know, your iPad, you scroll by touching your finger on it, right? Uh, earlier in my study today, it's the first time I've ever done this, I tried to scroll my actual Bible. I like was like, oh, <laughs> doesn't really work that way. That's kind of a side effect to the world that we live in. But I, I use my iPad at night when I read, and instead of having a pencil or a highlighter in my hand like I used to... When I'm reading a chapter in the Bible, because I can, I've been legalistic before, to where I got to read three Bibles, three chapters a day, or two chapters a day. So then I read it. Okay, I read my two chapters, it's okay. But I didn't get anything out of it. So now when I read my Bible, I'm looking for God to say something to me. I read it with that anticipation, that expectation. And so I'm always looking for something to highlight. So I'm, I'm, as I'm reading, I'm, I'm waiting for something to speak to me, so I go, ooh, that's good, and I can highlight it. Oh, that's good, I can highlight it. My daughter was looking over my Bible, and this is back when I did use my Bible to read and highlight and things in. She looked at one page that everything was highlighted in. And she goes, what, there wasn't one verse in there that didn't speak to you? She goes, why didn't you use just one big fat highlighter and just highlight everything, the whole page that's on there? I, I think that that kind, not legalistically, but saying... I want to know what God's word says and I know God can speak to me. Do you believe that if you started reading Colossians today, that you, in chapter one, that God would speak to you out of Colossians? Do you believe if you started reading Romans today or Genesis one today or Matthew one today or that God would start speaking to you out of it? That's exercising yourself in godliness. Also going for a walk with him, praying, going in your, your prayer closet. I'm kind of a, you know, I don't do sitting down still really well. So I'll go for a walk with God when I want to just pray and get quiet before him. And I love that aspect, by the way, just again, being practical with you. I love just going to God and being quiet before him. The Bible says that a fool rushes in before God. I, I love going for a walk with God and just starting walking down the street and just saying, all right, Lord, I'm here. And I just want to be with you. And I want to interact with you. And just letting kind of it warm up, just kind of letting God touch my heart and letting myself begin to talk with him about what I think he wants to share with me or touch my heart about, instead of just rushing into the presence of God with a lot of words. Okay, God, now I got this that I want. I got that that I want. I got that, this, this, this and that. And give me that. And I then do that and do that and do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Walk out. But instead, just going in, God, I want to know you and I want to be with you and I want to spend some time with you. There's a benefit to that. You're exercising yourself in godliness. You're spending time with him. What made David, when David began to be a king, be so powerful in his interaction with God was the fact that he had spent time in the fields caring for the sheep at night with the flute or the harp in his hand, writing songs to God and interacting with God. He exercised himself in godliness. Now it goes on to say here in verse 9, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. In other words, don't let anybody tell you that this isn't right. This is faithful and worthy of acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. Th- this is the reason that we labor and that we suffer a reproach. If you, if the people around you, in your school, in your home, in your office, in your, the department that you work in, in uh, your job, wherever you're at, if they know you're a Christian, they're going to make fun of you. It's going to happen. Because they make fun of Christians. Listen, you can be anything. You college students, you realize this, don't you? You can be anything, and you'll be accepted in your class. But if you say, I'm a Christian, you can say, I'm Hindu. You can say, I'm Buddhist. You can say, I'm Muslim. You could say, I don't believe anything. I'm just my own person. You can say anything you want to say. But the moment that you say, I'm a Christian, now you are mocked and made fun of and laughed about. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Christians are the only group that you do not have to be politically correct towards. You can't talk bad about anybody else, but you can curse Jesus Christ from the classroom. You can curse him anywhere that you want to because you don't have to be politically correct towards the truth is what I believe. I believe that, but you will be be reproached. But never forget the very people that are reproaching you. The very people at work that hate you are the very people at your school that go, you're such a weakling. You know, Christianity is a crutch. I I like to tell people when they say to me that Christianity is a crutch, I like to say, no, it's not. It's a stretcher. And I'm stretched out on it because I realize my own weaknesses. I know who I am. I don't walk around with this pretense, you know, yes, I am strong and I have control of my life and I run my own ship and my own life. And then you get in the middle of life and you realize none of that's true. That's all just the fables of men. You're going to be made fun of. And you're a reproach, but you're a reproach for God's sake. And you realize that wherever you go, the very people that are reproaching you are the very people Jesus died for. So that's what he says here in verse 10. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. In other words, those very people that are making fun of us Those very people we suffer reproach for because of our godliness and because of our purity, because we have a different priority in our life than the rest of the people do are the very people Jesus died for. Understanding that is so powerful, especially to believe. They have to believe. It's not universalism. It's not just that everybody's suddenly going to believe, but Jesus died for everybody and everybody has an opportunity to get saved, even the people that are reproaching you. That's very powerful. He then goes on to say in verse uh, 11, these things command and teach. But let no one despise your youth, but be an example to all believers. Now, Timothy is young, Paul is old, and so Paul says, let no one despise your youth. But something about age is that it's relative. I, uh, I started teaching when I was 25 years old. Now, that's young. When I see someone who's 25 years old today and I see them in ministry, I think, wow, they got a lot to learn. Now, when I was 25 years old, I didn't think that way. I thought, "Hey, I'm teaching the Bible. Let's go." But people came to church, and this is a lot of years ago now, but they would come to church and they would say they'd come up to me afterwards. And why people feel like they have to actually put these things into words, I don't know. But I got this a lot when I was young. See, I was 25, but I looked, I don't know, 12. I looked really young. I grew this pathetic mustache because <laughs> I wanted I wanted to look older. <laughs> That is absolutely scary. That is absolute, and that is absolutely pathetic. Thanks. I really appreciate that. You keep zooming in. Okay. Anyway, I had this pathetic mustache only because I wanted people to think that I was older at the time. People would come up to me afterwards. They would say, listen, we like the church. We love the worship. We liked your teaching, but you're so young. I don't, I don't think I can receive from you. Well, I had my standard statement, I would say. I would say, well, you know what? There's a lot of churches out there with a lot of old pastors. You can go there. Well, I'm, an, I'm one of those old guys now. I'm one of the, I wish somebody would come up to me and say, I can't go to your church because you're too young. <laughs> I don't ever get that anymore. It's all relative. The crazy thing is, is that Paul's in his 60s when he writes this, and Timothy is in his 40s. So when he's told, don't let anybody despise your youth, it's a guy in his 40s that's being told that. So it's all relative. Listen, doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. Don't let anybody despise that when it comes to the power of God. It's not age. It's not schooling. It's not experience. It is the spirit of God that uses you and uses you in your life. So don't let anybody despise you where you are. Don't let anybody say you're too old. Don't let anybody say you're too young. Don't let anybody say you can't go out and do that. You haven't been to school. Listen, a lot of guys should be going out and doing it instead of going to school. Now I realize some of you parents freak out when I say something like that. You're like, didn't you look, did he say that? Cover my child's ears. It's the spirit of God. It's not any of this stuff that men put up as being important. It's the very spirit of God. And so he says to Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. Probably a lot of older people there in the church of Ephesus. Probably a lot of them looked at Timothy and thought, who are you? And so Paul says, don't let him do it. But he says, be an example. This is important no matter what your age is. You be an example. Don't let anybody judge you based upon how old you are, but let people judge you on who you are. Say he says, verse, where are we at? Uh, 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to, to the believers. In word, in what you say, in conduct, in how you act, in love, that that's the highest priority that you have in love towards people, in spirit, that you are led by the very spirit of God, In faith, that you step out and that you trust God to do mighty and powerful things. I said earlier in this study, God said if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to mountains be moved. And I think God wants to do awesome, mighty, powerful things in the lives of all of you. If you would just have faith, step out and believe, and purity. We're living in a day when there's not much put on purity, but for every believer, when we're born again, there's a desire to be obedient to God and a desire for purity. And as we exercise ourselves in godliness, the interesting thing is, is that purity ends up coming about when we exercise ourselves in godliness. Let's just say, for example, that you have a stronghold in your life. Let's use the example of drinking. You have this stronghold in your life. You go for two or three weeks and you don't drink, but then all of a sudden you just, you know, decide, you know what, I can have a beer. And you're the kind of person that once you have one beer, it like makes you have five beers, right? You just can't have one beer. You, you'll tell people, you'll defend your right. I can, I can drink one beer if I want to. And who's going to say you can't, right? But then you have one beer and, and beer makes you, alcohol makes you think differently. So the next thing you know, you're like, I can have two and I can have three and I can have four. And you're drunk the next thing you know. And so then you say to God, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot, I don't want to do this. I just had a stronghold in my life. I keep on, I keep on, I keep on falling back into the stronghold. And so you say, I'm not going to drink. And by sheer willpower, you say, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I am not going to drink. But every time you think drink, you picture like beer with a, you know, had a foam on there and you, you're like, oh, it's fizzy. And you want that. Every, I'm making somebody stumble right now as I'm describing alcohol. <laughs> and you want that by saying, I'm not going to drink. But listen. If you decided instead of saying, I'm going to put all this energy in making sure I don't drink, talking about it all the time, making it a priority. Instead, if you said, you know what? I'm going to spend my time. I'm going to read my way through the Bible in a year. I'm going to make sure that I spend 20, 30 minutes with God every day, just walking with him or sitting down quietly and talking with him. I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm in church and that I'm growing. I'm going to make sure that I'm involved and being used by God. Not only that I'm growing and receiving, but I'm also an outlet by which God's spirit is moving through me. I'm going to make sure I do these things. You know what happens? As you do that, you're growing spiritually. And all of a sudden, you find that when you're tempted, you go, I don't want that. It's not that you're not tempted, because you are. But you go, now you're stronger spiritually. And you find that you overcome that stronghold. The same can be said about lust. The same can be said about anything else that you're struggling with in your life. You say, I need to get over this. I need to stop this. I want to stop it. I'm an idiot, God. Let to get out of my life. Well, you're not exercising yourself in godliness. You are trying to stop that. And it's good that you want to stop it. You're just going at it the wrong way. You need to exercise yourself in godliness. And then you can be that example in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in spirit, in purity, Right? And then it goes on to say, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. He says, Timothy, I'm coming to you, and until then, just make sure that you're reading the word of God, that you're exhorting the people around you, and that you're staying true to the truth. We could never go wrong if these are our priorities. He then goes on to say, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophesying the laying on of hands of the eldership. The gifts of the Spirit. Some of you guys haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit or the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And and I want to say that it's available. I believe it's available today. I believe you should ask God for the gift of the Holy Spirit and that he would give you gifts. And then you want to apply the gift. You don't want to neglect the gift. Let's say that God's given you a gift of teaching. And you say, well, I know that God's called me to be a pastor. And then you don't do anything with it. You say, well, when, you know, Robert, you finally stop preaching, I'll take over your place. <laughs> well, you just hold on, Sonny, all right? Just give us some time, because I'm not quite done yet. But you're neglecting the gift that is in you. Just go teach. Go, go begin to teach third graders. I love what Chuck said for years. He said, listen, you got the gift of teaching? When you can make the word of God clear to a third grader, then you can make it clear to anybody. Find a place to teach. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. And what if you've got the gift of helps or you've got the gift of organization or administration or any of the other gifts that are out there? Use the gifts that you've got. It's interesting that sometimes we want what might be a gift that puts you in an area that's seen when you might be part of the body that's not seen. And Paul used this example. You know, the lungs are an important part of the body. Maybe you're the lungs of the church, and we can hear you wherever we go, but you're the lungs of the church, and. and uh, You want to be seen, and so you try to be the nose or the mouth of the church when it's not what God wants for you. God wants you to be unseen and not seen, but you say, I want to be seen, so now you're neglecting the gift that's in you. And you know what I find? If you don't have the gift of teaching, the best gift for me is the gift of teaching. And I believe that I have it. If I didn't have the gift of teaching, how hard would it be to do my job? How hard would it be to get up every week and have to teach God's people if you don't have the gift of teaching? I mean a couple of things you could pray that God would gift you where you're at or you could say I want to find out what my gifts are and then I want to go and do that. And listen, man there's an excitement in that. That because you're gifted for it. You're built for it. You find yourself actually doing what you're excited about. I've found pastors that are they're burned out, they're upset, they struggle in giving messages And I often wonder, are they really gifted? Is this really where God's placed them? Or is it a place they forced themselves into? It shouldn't be something that burns you out. It should be something that is exciting if it's by the very power of God. Find out what your gift is. If I told you, hey, listen, I need you to stop by my house and get my best shoes. So you stop by the house, knocked on the door. Hey, Robert sent me by to get his best shoes. So my wife thought, well, it must be the shoes he's preaching in. So she gets my best shoes and she gives them to him. My, my dressiest shoes. And then when you get there, I go, oh no, I'm playing racquetball. I'm my best racquetball shoes. When it comes to our gifting, what's the best gift? Well, it depends on what I'm doing. I got a pair of shoes that I use when I'm mountain biking. They clip into the mountain bike. They're called clipless, but they clip in. I haven't quite understood that. But I got a pair of good shoes I wear when I'm mountain biking. I got a pair of shoes I, I use when I play racquetball. I got a pair of shoes that I use. got like five pairs of shoes that I use when I golf. I got pairs of shoes that I use With different things What's the best pair? It depends on what I'm doing That's what the best pair is What's the best gift for you? Depends on what you're doing And God gifts you for the position That he calls you to within the body So you don't want to neglect the gift that's in you And then he goes on to say here Meditate on these things Give yourself entirely to them That your progress may be evident to all How is it that your progress will be evident to everybody? How will everyone know that you're growing in godliness because you gave yourself entirely to it? It's like somebody competing in the Olympics. They don't train halfway. They train completely. They give themselves entirely to it. You want to be godly? Then make it your highest priority. Then say, "This this is it. I'm learning God's word. I'm going to know Him. I'm going to walk with Him. I'm going to use the gifts that He's given me. I'm going to find myself making spiritual things a priority. You give yourself to it totally. I don't think anybody ever wins a, a medal in the Olympics by training halfway. I don't think there's anybody, even if they're extremely talented in the area, that says, you know what, I didn't do much to prepare for the Olympics. It became their lives before the Olympics, right? So it is with godliness. Look, read it again. Verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and the doctrine. Two things. Take heed to yourself that you are, are right before God and doctrine. Truth. Make sure you have the responsibility of knowing what the truth is. You have the responsibility of making sure in the last days to deceivers are going to come. You've got to make sure that you're not deceived by the deceivers. So take... Heed to yourself and to doctrine, continue in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Using this in a broader sense, because this is written to a pastor, those who hear you, we could say, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. And by doing so and continuing in them, you're going to save both yourself and those you minister to. God's going to use you to make a difference on whatever level it is that you minister through. And my prayer for this message is that God has stirred your heart. Stirred your heart to exercise in godliness, but stirred your heart that you would use the very gifts that God has given you. And if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't come back soon, that I would see God use you in an incredibly powerful way. I look forward to, if the Lord does tarry, to what God will, how God will use us and how God will use each one of you as he's gifted you and you. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we have in this passage. What a a passage, really. What What a great encouragement that we give ourselves entirely to you, that we exercise in godliness, comparing that to physical exercise, and that we don't neglect the gifts that have been given to us. Lord, help us that we would be those who would be ministered to by you, and minister to the very gifts that have been given to each of us. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus south of Palo Verde and I-10 meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. PCLAZ.org. That's PCLAZ.org, where you can make a secure one time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a recurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life, or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at Saved at and don't forget to follow us on social media. Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.